and welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities, both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and today I am joined by Daniel Baxter, a lecturer in international tourism and event management, to talk about the rise of drag shows and how they can increase the happiness and well-being of audiences. Daniel, it is brilliant to welcome you on the show. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me, Craig. It's great to be on something like this and share what we've been doing and how it can impact the university and so on. So thank you very much. No, definitely. As soon as the subject was put in front of me, I thought, this sounds excellent. I really want to talk to you about this and record a Common Good podcast with you. So let's just start at the top. Could you kick off by talking about your research? Tell me about this project. The project that we're talking about today is around the concept of drag culture and drag events and how it's grown as a phenomenon permeating into mainstream society. So it's become a household concept, if you would like, over the last sort of 15 years. And one thing that um, got me thinking about this research was through attending a conference that we I sit on the executive committee for, for the Association for Event Management Education. And part of the, the conference proceedings is to, to network and identify opportunities to create new research collaboration with, with, with academics across the UK. So when I was sitting with my two colleagues, um, Claire Lear from Northampton and Steve Jones from BIM, we started talking about drag culture and we started talking about drag events and we started to see that, oh, there's a bit of an interest in this. And I remember when I started my journey into academia, I was um, given a bit of advice by a colleague who said that most of your academic life and your research, you'll spend 90% of it on the core crux of what you do. So that might be the key area of research that helps you in your development as an academic. But what she says was, was something that's important is to do 10% of something that interests you, enjoys you and peaks your excitement. Yeah. So this is something that sort of stayed in my mind. And this is the area of research that is that 10%. And it's, it's inspired some great conversations between our research colleagues and which is then developed into publication of a journal and a really exciting research project which is really exploring how drag events create a sense of well-being for those that are attending them. Well, then how, how do drag events create that sense of well-being and that sense of inclusivity for the people who are in attendance? What, it, what they do is that they're, they're bringing people together to participate in a sense of enjoyment. And when you, when we think about well-being, well-being is not just about the physicality of it and the physical construct of, of well-being. There's also that mental well-being that, that's really prevalent in society at the moment that we're all striving to, to keep our mental health above, above water, so to speak, if I use that term. And this is what this this concept of attending drag events can do because what it's doing is it's bringing people of like-minded communities together to celebrate and to support queer culture and that's really important because what you're doing is you're creating this concept of escapism where people attending these events can escape their everyday life can feel free can celebrate who they are and who they want to be while celebrating artists and being mm -hmm. inspired and I think that's really important and that's that's how drag events have really helped people's well-being who, who are attending them 
and that was something that became really prevalent in the findings that we 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 got because what we did was we we surveyed over 250 uh, 240 people that had been um, that had attended drag events in the UK and it started to become apparent that many of them were seeking escapism to enhance their own mental and emotional well-being and what it did was it demonstrated that by attending these drag events they were exciting they were stimulating it was allowing people to have a place for self-expression and the word that came out quite a lot was was this whole concept of accepted they felt accepted they had a sense of freedom and happiness in a non-judgmental environment and i think that's so important because we spend so much of our time working or engaged in activities which can sometimes cause us stress or cause us anxiety and cause us mental issues that going to something like these events where they are exciting they're colorful they're enjoying they're enjoy, they're, they're an experience which is important it really does allow people to celebrate in these non-judgmental environments and that came out and that's why they're they're, they're really important were you surprised by your findings in some ways, yes, because I don't think we realise the, the magnitude that these events can have on the people that are attending them. And coming from um, being a, recent, a lecturer in events and tourism, there is an impact that, that going to a destination, attending an event, it does create that sense of belonging. It does create that sense of escapism. But to actually see a specific type of event that's been, that's been developed because of a phenomenon which has hit mainstream society and hearing people talk about how they attended the events and they talked about how they didn't feel like, to use exact phrases that came from it, how they didn't feel like a weirdo and how they felt that... And one, one element that really stood out was somebody saying that the events have changed their life in a way that they can carry themselves as a gay man and how one one heterosexual male mm -hmm. talked about how going to a drag event has completely changed their life and saved them from a dark place. That's incredible. There's so much I want to ask you about this, Daniel, but I suppose one of the questions you mentioned about how drag culture became more of a mainstream concern about 15 years ago, and a lot of this comes through RuPaul. RuPaul's Drag Race is a hugely popular show. It's currently streaming on BBC Three at the moment. Can you give us a bit of a, a potted history over the last 15 years and how it has gone from a, a fringe culture into the mainstream? Yeah, so... This is an area of research that we've been delving into, and there's experts that talk about drag culture and what it is. But what we talked about in our research was our perspective of understanding what drag was. And drag is the art of female impersonation. And it's a concept that it's been fundamental in life. It dates back to even when Shakespeare was putting on plays and we saw the male actors protagonizing female females. So it's not new, but what, what's important to, to understand is that it was a really taboo concept. So people didn't want to talk about it. People didn't want to engage with it. It was a real subset of the gay community itself. So it was, it was only really celebrated by gay men within the LGBTQ plus community. And when it was being celebrated, it was when you look at what grassroots drag was, it's been fundamental in breaking down the sort of concepts of gender stereotype, understanding ad the, the opportunity to advocate for gender equality, but also gay rights as well. And it created an opportunity that drag blurs lines 
between gender, but before the 15 years ago, it was more associated with men dressing up as females. And if you look at how it was portrayed before them in the 1980s and 90s, it was very comedic value. Mm -hmm. So you would see the likes of drag concept, drag construct being portrayed in films like um, Mrs. Doubtfire, or you would see the fantastic Lily Savage, but it was all comedic value. But there's a real depth and a real strength to what drag is and how it helps to break down boundaries and helps to create conversation around gender, inclusivity, politics as well. How you can you can discuss key political messages through it. And that sometimes was forgotten. But what you've seen is with drag become a lot more of a phenomenon in the last 15 years, these concepts have come to light. But this is where the research sort of came from is because a lot of the, the, the theory that's out there or the research only talks about drag and its associated ideologies with gender, sexuality and race. It doesn't really cover the events themselves and the impacts it can have to those that are attending. While there's some there, there's not really an awful lot of it. So then why is RuPaul's Drag Race become so popular amongst people inside and outside of the LGBTQ plus community? It's because it's been made accessible. So right. what, what RuPaul's done is he's created an opportunity to bring his art form and his passion into mainstream society to celebrate these artists. Some of them are activists, some of them are comedians, but to celebrate the true art form of drag, bringing it into the forefront of mainstream society where people are able to view it as an art form, mm-hmm. as, as a career path. And I think when you do that, it's, he's really been the catalyst and created the opportunity which has been pro- like prolific in society for us understanding how drag becomes part of our, our lives. So by having such a successful TV show in America where he's been able to showcase the, the importance of drag culture to the people that are on the show and how it's made an impact to their life to showcase how exciting this art form can truly be, it's then catalyzed even further where we're now seeing it enter into our mainstream society where we see, and I use that term mainstream because it's it's where we see everyday life, yeah. where we see it. So we can go out onto the, the, the streets, we can be driving. And if you look at SPT, they had um, in Glasgow, the underground, they had Lawrence Cheney, the recent winner of season two of RuPaul's Drag Race and their advertising campaign. Look at Virgin doing their pride flight where they utilised drag queens and they were in their advert for it. You see drag artists now in major social um, social media campaigns, but also fashion campaigns. We see them on our TV, like BBC, and their singing competitions, um, shows and so on. So because of RuPaul, that's been able to happen. And not only is it just seeing it in TV and media, it's also come into our own vocabulary where you see people talking about Yas Queen and work it. <laughs> and we see it, we hear them in the pubs, we hear them in the clubs, we, we see it on TV, they're using yeah. that terminology. And that stems from that community. And even down to styling and the way we dress, the way we are, giving you that freedom to dress the way you want to be. So it really does celebrate queer community, but also you look at makeup brands and so on and that concept of contouring and changing the way the shape of your face that comes from the the men trying to feminize their face and using contouring to do that so it really has he he has been so prolific Uh, RuPaul they've they've been so prolific in bringing this to the forefront and it permeating into our everyday life 
And one thing about research is that what, how research is developed is through phenomenons. And drag culture, drag race is a, an, is a phenomenon which has been developed and been catalyzed due to RuPaul. And you now see that, what you see his show now being, being launched in both Canada, UK, Thailand, Spain, you see spin-offs of it, um, you see some of the acts, who um, the contestants now having their own TV shows and spin-off on Netflix. So it, it's, it's, it's not just him now, it's his legacy that he's mm-hmm. created. And these are the people... These are the people that are inspiring the next generation of drag queens or drag artists, drag kings, which then young people, adults, women, men, children are wanting to go be a part of who are inspiring the next generation. So it's, and that's what we started to identify was that previously, as I'd said, was drag was really, really confined to the gay community, to the gay male community. But now we're seeing a complete change in that, where it's 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 broken boundaries, where we're seeing it not just the LGBTQ plus community, but also to cisgendered. And when we were doing the research, heterosexual males, heterosexual females as well, but also to adults, children. So it's across so many demographics. Tell me then, Daniel, how did you carry out this piece of research? So the research was, we started this research during the global pandemic, which was not ideal. We started just before it happened because it became quite then difficult to then, we had to then reassess how we were going to then carry out the research. And in the case of the word that's constantly used in the world, we had to pivot. We had to pivot how we were going to do the research. So we'd done a lot of the literature engagement. We'd looked at what was out there. We'd done a review of that. And then we started to think, right, a lot of these drag artists aren't going to be working because of COVID, which was a real shame because it just completely shut down these, these events, which, which our research demonstrated were so, so important to people. So what we decided was we would employ a research technique called um, an online qualitative survey. And online qualitative surveys don't tend to really be used in quant- qualitative data studies because there's a bit of discussion around whether or not they can they can achieve the richness of data that's required from interviewing somebody, whether they can, they can be robust. Yeah. But what they actually do is they 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 do they do they do have that opportunity because you're giving the participant the opportunity to create a dialogue through text, and they can share their experiences, so they can give you that richness and abundance of data that's needed. But what it does to because issues with quality research, which are identified, is that the sample size can sometimes come under critique due to it being too small. But using the online qualitative survey, it allowed it to to reach a bigger sample for a qualitative piece of work. So something that wasn't generally always used within qualitative research we we applied that so it had a bit of an impact in showcasing a different technique um, which has been used in some cases but not an awful lot and not an awful lot in the sort of tourism and events literature which is where this this piece of research sits so we we identified that we wanted to keep it uk focused as well because a lot of the research is already out there sits within the us so we wanted to take a different approach on it and look at it from the perspective that we sit within which is which is how important it is to because we're there's been a growth in the amount of of drag events that are being offered that are that are being yeah. that are being put on and one of the researchers that we work with they're a lecturer at BIM but they're also 
a manager in Revenge in Brighton, which is one of the largest LGBTQ plus night, nightclubs where they host a lot of drag events. Mm -hmm. So they had firsthand experience that there was a growth in the amount of drag events that were happening. So that's why we looked at the UK. So that that was how the research was 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 done. We used an online qualitative survey. We populated out as many people that attended through our own through our own networks using snowballing techniques and encouraging others to uh, encourage others to fill it out and so on. And then we used a thematic analysis approach to to look at the key commonality themes that were coming out of the of the data to allow us to create quite an interesting and informed discussion and to present the findings. One of the things I'm quite interested to know, Daniel, is that I know that the LGBTQ plus community, they've had to fight hard and they're still fighting hard to create safe spaces for themselves. How do they feel about their safe spaces being, I don't want to use the word infiltrated, but being populated? by members of the cishet community. How, how do they feel about that? What was quite interesting from the study was we didn't ask a specific question on that, but there was elements that started to come through, which has sort of inspired us to look at this for our next piece of work on this. Okay. But what we started to see was that some of the, well, specifically, there was a comment from a heterosexual female aged 18 to 21 that said specifically, I sometimes feel like I'm intruding as a white, uh, as a straight white female, but I want to show my support to the LGBTQ plus community. And then there was conversation around the construct of, of a, an ally to them and supporting them. So those that identified as gay or queer, there was a couple of comments that said that they appreciate that and they see that these people are coming to celebrate with them. But we are, we're, we're in the midst of writing up a, on doing some other research which looks at the performers perception of this which is quite different okay. because they're because they're seeing it as it can sometimes be that they don't know how to act around the performances and around the drag queens and so on and that's been something that's actually talked about in RuPaul's Drag Race himself by the acts that they, they talk about the hen parties and stag parties that come in and they they don't follow the norms of what the show would be and they become a bit maybe sometimes more aggressive rowdy which then impacts both the performer and the people around them mm. But um, there was noticed that there was a lot of phrases like appreciating that they could see that people were attending and they were starting to appreciate the culture and where it's come from. So from some of them, there was support. There was that kind of allusion to them enjoying them being there because there was that essence of support and ally. But there was still some comments about how some of them weren't showing etiquette. And that's a phrase that comes out that at times that they feel that now drags become so commercialized that there's an issue with people how they act when they get there because they don't they're not seeing it from the perspective of how the lgbt community have fought so hard for these yeah. spaces to celebrate that they don't really understand the value that of drag has been in supporting that and and how it's a celebration of that and how it's how there's an activist side of drag events and how there's a there's a sense of that whole escapism and feeling safe. So it's it's something that we were very mindful of in the research that started to sort of have a trend, but it's an area we're going to be looking at as we move through because it was something that became quite interesting and quite apparent. How advanced are you with this uh, secondary piece of research? So we're in the midst of finalize, well, writing up the final manuscript for submission for review. 
So we've done, we've, we've collected the data and we reviewed it and we've started writing. So hopefully we'll see something come out. We've, we've presented on it at a conference in the Association for Event Management Education and it was well received. So it's quite an interesting perception to look at is looking at the, the second paper sort of exploring audience um, the, the, the changing audience dynamic from the perception of the performers. So what are they seeing? How are they perceiving the changes rather than looking at it from the, the attendee? So it's getting both sides of the picture, which then can be compared. How do we put this research then, Daniel, into a practical context? One of the best things about the research was that the three of us that conducted it all come from quite different backgrounds. We're all events lecturers, but we we come from a different worldview, if you would you would say, and our practical practitioner experiences are different as well. So what was great to have Steve on board was Steve works as a general manager for Revenge. So he took a really practical approach at how this would impact practice-led. And what we talked about in that was that if that how it would inform practice is having people become aware that these inclusive spaces are really important to, to the LGBTQ plus community. So it's about making sure that the staff that are there delivering these events understand that and are trained in that approach and have that knowledge and understanding of the importance of it. And what it also sort of, of from a commercial perspective, it's implied that when they're hosting these events, they really need to consider the target market and the target market has changed. So are they ensuring that they're marketing to that way? Because the audience is becoming more diverse. So are practitioners realizing the value of drag events and are they then aware of how that commerciality should be applied and ensuring that as that they're creating the opportunities for everyone to experience drag events that want to experience them. And there is a need also for event managers to consider supporting the local drag scene and the local drag economy because they're the next, they're the future. So you want to you want to make sure you're bringing them along with you as well. So you want to, one of the concepts that came out was in ensuring that they are booking local drag artists because this will help build sub communities um, and make the shows themselves more inclusive and diverse. So not just having drag queens, but maybe bringing in drag kings as well. Okay. We've looked at it from like a, a commercial and a practical perspective, but how can our students at the university benefit from this research? There's a concerted need, first of all, to, to engage people in more training around diversity and inclusivity. And event staff need to know that. So we're teaching event management students, and, and that's important, is that that then infiltrates into our teaching because we've recognised from the research that that's, that's a practice-based element as well, that more training is needed in diversity and inclusion. So that then can transcend, we can use these case studies in our teaching. What it also does is it allows our students to know that we as lecturers and academics are researching in these phenomenons, that we're interested in them, mm -hmm. and that, that, that it can inspire them to look at some interesting and key phenomenons that are happening that, that, that spark their interest for their own research dissertations at both undergraduate and master's level, because there's value in it. But so one of the things, this is from my perspective, is that it lets them know that we watch simply for we watch tv we watch what modern culture is and it inspires us too that we understand how important 
like this concept of drag event is to the LGBTQ plus community that allows them to see that we know the pertinence this has in the future for this community and it can inspire them to give a give a voice also and I think that's what's important is that yes there's the traditional maybe constructs that should be studied in university and so on but we want to make it transferable to our students we want our students to understand that diversity and inclusion is really important so utilizing case studies like this which they can then relate to because you need to have relatability in what we're teaching and little elements like this little snippets are so important in driving that because it creates a comfortable environment where then students can ask questions which can then help educate them because one of the things that I always say is knowledge is power but mm. to get that knowledge you need to be able to ask questions so we as lecturers need to be able to create a safe space to have these conversations around complex issues like drag because we've got international student bodies as well that may not have may not understand this, may not have ever experienced it. So we can then add the value to their learning by showcasing the value of these events and bring that in. And what it also does is it allows our students in event management to know how valuable events are to people's lives. And I think we forget that as, as just in general, is that we don't always see the value that events have to who we are and how valuable they are. So it inspires our students to want to go out and work in these fields and to continue to push the boundaries, to continue to be activists in diversity inclusion, which aligns again to our sustainable development goals as a university. Let's talk a little bit about yourself, Daniel. Can you tell us about your background in academia and, and your journey to working for Glasgow Caledonian University? I previously worked for, I worked in the commercial tourism and events industry for British Airways and then for TUI, Thomson and First Choice as it was, and now known as TUI. So I worked in a few different commercial roles with them and I then came back to the university to undertake a master's in, in tourism at Glasgow Caledonian. And this is what I talk about when I, when I say being able to challenge and being able to challenge people's perception to give them new knowledge and that was something that happened to me while I was studying because I always become came from a very commercial background private sector but during my time I was sort of challenged in my thoughts by a lecturer who's now a colleague and it really changed my thought process and understanding so it then became apparent that I really really enjoyed our subject area and wanted to teach and then joined Glasgow Caledonian as a lecturer and since then, I've been working in the Department of Fashion Marketing, Tourism and Events and teaching across both the undergraduate and postgraduate suite, while also taking on my doctorate as well. And while my doctorate is not specifically in tourism and events, I'm looking at the looking at transnational education and my role as assistant head of international it allows me to to look at another area of research that I'm really interested in is about how important transnational education is in building in building opportunities for students and staff so yeah I've been at the university for eight years and it's it's an incredible it is an incredible place to work because of the opportunities like this mm -hmm. So I don't know many organisations or private sector organisations that would give you the scope to research areas that are like drag culture, yeah. that are quite inspiring and quite interesting and, and quite different. So I think that's one of the best things about working at a university, especially like GCU, is that we, 
we are the university for the common good and everything that we should be trying to do should align to this. And I think something like this, this kind of research really does. And yeah, it's, um, it's great. And it's been a lecture is just such an incredible role, quite an incredible job because of the impact you can have for the students and the student body. And they're just, it's, yeah, so that sort of my journeys came from private sector into, into academia. And honestly, it's been one of the one of the best journeys and decisions I've made. And I say that to people, say that to the students when they ask, do you miss, do you miss being out in the private sector? And I say, yes, I do. But I now get to support you and your dreams of working in the sector because your lot are now the next future leaders in this area. I've had my experience. So now you need to go and make changes. And I think that's one of the, the reasons that many of us do what we do is to help inspire them to to be the best and if little pockets of research like this can inspire then you, you don't realize how many how much how many students can be inspired by the work you do that's incredible daniel that's a brilliant way to finish up on thank you so much for your time today i thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and i think it's been an excellent podcast brilliant great to have you on the show thank you so much craig that was great i'd also like to thank all of our listeners for tuning into this episode and i hope you will join us again soon when we'll be in conversation with another member of the gcu community to talk about the great work going on at the institution in the meantime please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode you'll find us on apple podcasts spotify and all reputable retailers until the next time i've been craig Telford and this has been the Common Good Podcast.